Praise God. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to uh, the book of Luke, chapter number 11. Luke, chapter number 11. The Bible says in Luke, chapter 11, it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying, and this is speaking of Jesus here, says, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Verse 2, and he said unto them, when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. They said to Jesus, teach us to pray. Jesus said, say this, our Father, who art in heaven, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I think that the beginning of something is very, very important. It sets the tone. And Jesus Christ told his disciples that if you want to pray, he goes through as he continues the prayer and lists how to ask him for forgiveness, how to ask him for provision to meet your needs, how to uh, 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 go through the process of uh, petitioning him. But he says you got to start out by saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I believe the significance is, is that before you access God's riches, you've got to understand your relationship with Him. You've got to start out by recognizing that He is your heavenly Father. Amen. For just a few moments uh, uh, this, this morning, I want to speak on the key to the Father's riches. The key to the Father's riches. Lord, we thank you today for your blessings. We thank you for everything that you have done for us, Jesus. Help us, Lord God, learn today, not just random facts, but help us, Lord Jesus, to be able to take things and put into practice those things which will impact our lives positively. We pray for this in the precious name of Jesus. Witness the same with your spirit today in the name of the Lord. And everybody said, Amen. Would you clap your hands before you're seated? Mark Twain said this. Mark Twain said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I couldn't hardly stand to have the old man around when I was 14. But when I got to 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. We know what he's saying. When we're young, sometimes we feel like our parents just are out of touch and don't know what they're doing. The older we get, the more we recognize the wisdom that our parents and our father had. Here are the top ten sayings that we associate with our dads. The top ten sayings that a father would be most likely to say. Number one, what part of no don't you understand? Anybody heard this one before? 
This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Here's another one. Why? Because I said so. Most likely to come out of a dad's mouth. How about this one? I wasn't asleep. I was just resting my eyes. Uh, Here's another one. Shut the door. Were you born in a barn? And my response is, weren't you there? Another dad saying is, a little dirt never hurt anyone. He says as he eats the sandwich that fell on the ground. As long as you live under my roof, you'll live by my rules. Here's another dad saying, I'm not made of money. I know you've heard this one before. Don't make me stop this car. And the number one saying most likely to come out of the father's, a father's mouth is, ask your mother. Amen. Now, I know that uh, sometimes when Father's Day rolls around, it is as I prepare to speak to Life Church and to uh, you here today, there is a little bit of awkwardness because I understand the blessing that I have that not everybody had. I was blessed with a great father that many of you met. And uh, many of you may not have been blessed with that. But here's what Jewish tradition says. Jewish tradition insists that fatherhood is not necessarily biological. The one who raises a child is considered the true parent. Because teachers are like fathers, so much so that their honor, the honor of the one that actually raises the child, takes precedent, especially in situations where the father is only a biological relationship And it is the teacher who provides what a father should provide. Things like guidance, values, discipline, direction, and love. And the New Testament gives us this challenge to use the word father more as a verb than a noun. A father as a noun probably would refer to a biological father. But to father someone is a verb. Biologically, it's very easy to become a father. Can I get an amen? But it's biblically challenging to actually father our children. And the Bible very clearly challenges dads to be the spiritual leaders in their homes because the ultimate responsibility for what a family becomes belongs to the father. And the primary part of that responsibility is to strike a balance between love and discipline. Love and discipline, two things that sometimes in many people's minds are mutually exclusive. But the best fathering happens when they intersect, when love and discipline come together. There are some scriptures that emphasize this point. Hebrews 12 and 7 says, Let God train you. For he is doing what any loving father does for his children. Who ever heard of a son who was never corrected? And then in Ephesians 6.4, it says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. In fact, in Corinthians, the apostle Paul compares his role as an apostle to the role filled by a dad. 
He says in this in in uh, 1 Corinthians 4:15, though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet ye have not many fathers for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel, saying in essence that no one can take the unique place of a dad. Let me share with you that one of the greatest threats to the generation now being raised in the United States of America is the breakdown of the family. A lifelong marriage provides the foundation for a social order. And historically, when nationwide families begin to unravel in any culture, everything else is negatively affected. So today we're focusing on right fatherhood for a moment, not just to exhort us, but more importantly, to enable us to see our heavenly father in the right light. Because some people, when we say heavenly father, it doesn't resonate with them in a positive light because they have not seen right fathering modeled before them. I'm talking about right fathering today so that we can model correct fatherhood and do what God commissions us to do. But secondly, so that we can understand how God relates to us. Amen. Amen. Because those who view God as a father, their perspective is sometimes skewed by their own father. And because of this misunderstanding, the concern is that they would miss out on some blessings that are available to them because your perspective of God may be incorrect. <clears throat> and if that be the case, you this will have effect on many things in your life. So who is God to you? When we look through the Old Testament and New Testament, we see many words used to define the characteristics of God. We see that he is all-powerful. The word that we use is omnipotent. We see that God is all-knowing. Nothing is hidden from God. We see that God is also omnipresent. He's present everywhere at all times. We see that God is a spirit. and Just like the wind, he's invisible, but you can see the evidence of his work. We see that God is a creator. What I want to focus on today is the fact that the Bible also reveals that God is our Father. And it's important for you to believe this and grasp what this means. And I want to share with you today why it is important for you to understand what it means that God is your Father. I don't know if you've noticed with me, but I've noticed one thing, that in our culture in uh, pop culture, in media, sitcoms, movies, so on and so forth, that fathers are often portrayed as bumbling idiots. Anybody noticed that before? Whereas maybe in the 50s and the 60s, the programming you had, uh, you had the wise father on Leave it to Beaver or uh, uh, Father Knows Best. In, in uh, situation comedies today, the father is revealed as just some idiot who's clueless. And I think that's unfortunate. I really think it's unfortunate. And then in our culture, at the same time, it's important that you get that point, at the same time that fathers are portrayed as bumbling idiots, 
it is single mothers that are portrayed as the heroes. Now, don't get me wrong. Single mothers are heroes. Can I hear? Can I hear back from you today? Single mothers are heroes, but this is not God's plan. But this is what has emerged in our culture, and we are culture warriors today because we believe in what the Bible teaches. And we believe the foundation of scriptures will make for a stronger family and a stronger culture as well. Amen. But the problem is, is when fatherhood is perceived in this way, it gives us a misconception of what God is and how he's supposed to relate to us and the connection that God is to have with us. Never view God as some kind of judge sitting up in heaven peering down at you, waiting for some excuse to pounce upon you and bring about severe punishment. You must view God as a warm, compassionate, and caring Father. Amen. Amen. There's a problem when you have an unenlightened concept of God. In many cultures, heathen nations, their gods were portrayed as weird or cruel or immoral, or aloof, or impersonal. Anybody seen the title before, The Gods Must Be Angry, or The Gods Must Be Crazy? What's going on? Whenever something bad happens, I think two gods must be fighting with one another. And so gods are portrayed in a very arbitrary manner. And even the nation of Israel, even though they had a very clear revelation of God as, the, as much as possible, but they could still not conceive of his warmth and his compassion, so much so that they failed to recognize God when he was walking among them as Jesus Christ. They saw the actions of Jesus, and they didn't recognize it as being God, the heavenly Father. What's interesting is no other major religion claims God with fatherly attributes. And uh, Jesus, our creator, was revealed as a God of love, was concerned about the sick and the suffering, the blind and the deaf, and sinful people were drawn to him, and children sat on his knee. God was shown in a fatherly light through the ministry and through the life of Jesus Christ. See, what, what a lot of people don't understand and don't recognize is that uh, even in the Old Testament, you read and you read about the God of my fathers, but you never read about God my father. One place in Isaiah, it mentions God as a father. <clears throat> but the first person to ever make mention of God as a father was King David. I think it's also interesting that King David is the first one that we read about, well, not the first one, but probably the most prominent one, that messed up big time. And even though he was not living in the dispensation of grace, he had God's grace and mercy shown to him. I believe it's because he had a revelation and an understanding of God as our heavenly Father. And once he understood that, he was able to tap into the grace and mercy that was available to him through Jesus Christ. Amen. And the misconception about God, uh, unenlightened concept, leaves you out of the loop for God's mercy. 
If you want mercy, you must understand God's mercy. Matthew 6.14 says this, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Not only out of touch with God's mercy, but if you have a misconception of God as a father, it leaves you out of the loop for God's blessings. Listen to this. Hebrews eleven six says this. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you don't believe that God wants to bless you, then you can't tap into his blessings. In order to tap into the blessings of God, you've got to understand that he wants to bless you. And part of that is recognizing your relationship with God and having a proper understanding of how he feels about you. (coughs) And if you can't see God as a God of love who tenderly cares for us as a father, then you may miss out on the greatest things in life. The greatest thing in life, including salvation. The problem is Satan's tactic is to destroy the concept of a father. You know that there are many, many children born in North America that are born out of wedlock. Many of them will never know their fathers, never know a father's love. Only one-third of children, get this, only one-third of children born in North America will live with both biological parents through age 18. And this affects us as a culture. This is an amazing study about the influence on the missing father in our culture. Just listen to this for a minute right now. 85% of children with behavior disorders are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 70% of teen pregnancies are from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists are from fatherless homes. 75% of teen patients in drug abuse centers are from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in the correction institutions are from fatherless homes. I mean, this is really... Very clear. 85% of youths in prison are from fatherless homes. 85%. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 30 years ago, sociologists believed that poverty and racial discrimination were mostly to blame for juvenile crime and behavior issues. Now, nearly all of the evidence points to the breakdown in culture of the family as the real culprit for problems in the world today. So how can you buck the trend? How can you make a change? You can make that change by committing your life totally to Jesus Christ and as fathers raising your family to do the same. Can I talk to you about what a Christian father is like right now? Christian fathers do not tell lies. Christian fathers do not steal. Christian fathers do not lust and covet after other things. Christian fathers do not serve the God of money. Christian fathers do not sire children and then abandon them. Christian fathers do not cheat on their wives. Christian fathers don't send their kids to church. They take them to church. Amen. 
Christian fathers have a real relationship with God. And the greatest need of this hour is united homes where Jesus Christ is exalted. Amen? And when you understand the love of a godly father, there are some things that it will help you to know about God. Here's the first thing I want you to understand. And when you understand what it means that God is your father, number one point is that his life is wrapped up in your life. I'll read a verse of scripture, a passage of scripture from Genesis 44 that illustrates this point. And he said unto my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead. This is speaking of Jacob or Israel. And he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou saidest unto thy servants, Bring him down unto me, that I may see, set mine eyes upon him. And he said unto my Lord, The lad, this is speaking of Benjamin. Benjamin can't leave his dad. He already lost Joseph. Benjamin can't leave his dad. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. Now therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, life of the father is bound up in the life of the lad, it shall come to pass when he seeth the lad is not with us, that he will die, and thy servants shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant our father with sorrow to the grave. This passage of scripture indicates that Israel or Jacob's life was wrapped up in Benjamin. He said, if Benjamin is taken from him, then he will die. One thing that we must understand is that is how much our Heavenly Father loves us. He gets joy from our joy. He loves to see us succeed, and he loves to see us thrive. God's not up there looking for you to make a mistake so he can whack you in the head, but his desire is to see you do well. Amen. He is wrapped up in your life. Man, I read a story once about a, a Dr. Phil Litzford who uh, went with his 12-year-old son and a couple of friends up to Alaska on, a, on a, a fishing trip. And they came in on one of those sea airplanes. They landed and they fished for a few days. And uh, when it uh, came time for them to leave, uh, they got into the plane ready to leave, but they hadn't taken note that one of the uh, uh, floats had a hole in it, and it filled up with water. So when they uh, took off from the water to go from this remote place in Alaska back to uh, civilization, uh, the water in the float caused it to tilt. Long story short, caused it to go into a spiral and crash into the water. And all of them survived the crash, and, uh, but they, and they had uh, some type of devices that they could inflate to float with. And the four of them were okay, the father, Phil Linsford, his 12-year-old son, the two men. And uh, they had to swim back to the shore in the icy cold waters there in Alaska. And so they began to swim back, but they were fighting against the tide that was pulling them away. And the two men that were with them were very, very strong swimmers, and they were able to swim barely back to safety. And they say the last thing that they remember in their mind is seeing in the distance 
the two heads bobbing with the father holding on to his 12-year-old son, could easily no doubt have swam to safety, but his life was bound up in the life of his son. I want you to understand that this is the picture of Calvary. This is what Jesus Christ did for us. Calvary is the clearest love letter that was ever written. Jesus Christ died to save you. And I need some fathers to look at me right now, and I want you to recognize that love that you have for your child that says, I would die for that kid to protect them and make them safe. I want you to understand that that's how God feels about you. See, you've been missing out on God's blessing because you don't understand it. You felt like God was mad at you and finished with you. God loves you so much that he would die to save you. Can we give him thanks right now? Here's another thing you may be missing out on if you don't understand that God is your father. Our Father, which art in heaven, is that your Father is more interested in your character than He is in your comfort. A good Father, a godly Father, wants you to grow up to be a good person rather than a spoiled person. Amen. And I have a lot of stories I could tell you from my old, my own life, of my Father not seeking the route of comfort, but seeking the route for me. Of character. From the time I was 13, I had a job. Whether it was throwing papers at a paper route, making funnel cakes, uh, scooping ice cream. Not because I was obsessed with money, but because my dad had put it into my spirit that you're not going to be laying around this house. You've got to do something. Amen. And, you know, that came to me. And my father was not trying to be mean to me, but he was trying to instruct and teach me. That, and, and cause me to be a better person. And at the time, sometimes I didn't care for it, especially he did this to me. On Saturday mornings, my one day to sleep in, he would come into my room if it's after 8 o'clock and say things like, don't lay in that bed. You're going to be a lazy hound dog. Get out of that bed. It's Saturday. It's only 8.30. You're not going to lay in that bed all day. And then if I didn't get up by 9 o'clock, he'd come in and relieve me of my bed and bounce me on the ground because he was more concerned about my character than he was about my comfort. My dad didn't pay for my car. I paid for my own first car, as humble as it was, and every car since then. Amen. My dad didn't pay for my college. I just assumed he didn't have any money. I found out now he probably could have paid for my college. Not sure how I feel about that. But what did I have to do? I had to work my way through. Go to class, then go to work, eat a taco from Taco Bell, driving my car with my knees on the way from class to school. Do I have a witness in the house? You know what I'm talking about here. Very little private time. Very little leisure time. You wonder how I stayed out of trouble. Have time to get in trouble. Amen. Here's another thing that, that my dad taught me. One of the things that my dad taught me in terms of character. I had a friend who would have a job and something would come along that was fun, whether it was going to a camp meeting or uh, going to an event or whatever, and he would just call in and not go to work and just go do whatever. 
and he was a preacher's son. And uh, there's one thing I noticed about him. He had a lot of different jobs. He didn't stay at one place. He was switching from job to job to job to job. And whenever he wanted to do something, he just quit a job, go do it, and then come back and try to find another job. My dad wouldn't let me do that. He said, you're committed to this, and you're going to be there if you said you're going to be there. Amen. <laughs> Rather than just doing whatever, if something more interesting or more fun comes along. And you know what? That got into the fiber of my being because yeah, I know you want to go down there and, and, and play with those young people and hang out and have fun. But I'm more interested in your character than your comfort. And your heavenly father is more interested in your character than your comfort. And when you don't understand that, you miss out on the fact that he is displaying mercy in your life. My dad would not take my side against authority, whether it were a teacher, a police officer, somebody else in, in my life that was in a position of authority. He would not say, oh, you wronged my boy. My boy's a good boy. Heard that before, seen that before. Do I need to preach on that a little bit? Talking about my son. You're just picking on my boy. That's what you're doing. You're picking on my boy. That ain't going to happen around here. You're sowing into your son rebellion. Rebellion is a sin of witchcraft. It's, it's a principle of Satan. And I thank God that my dad never did that. If I got in trouble at school, guess what happened? I got in trouble at home. If I got a spanking at school, dad didn't go say, why'd you lay hands on my, my son? Yes, we did get spanked in public school in Tennessee. Boom, with the paddle. And I go home. Dad, the teacher, teacher hit me and all I did was whistle in class. Dad said, well, if you get a spanking at school, you get a spanking when you get home. I thought you were going to go get the teacher. No, 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 that's not how it works. Amen. You're going to learn to respect authority. Amen. This is very, very important. And, and, and so our Heavenly Father is teaching us these lessons as well. And some of us are hard learned, you know. We're hard learners. We resist, reject. Resist authority and wonder, wonder why we're in trouble and miserable. Maybe your father's trying to teach you something because he loves you. Amen. Amen. I could go on and on about many of the things that happen, but I'll just mention one last thing is that sometimes my dad's correction was painful because I needed my attitude adjusted, especially when I was about 17 and I was as tall as my dad, much taller than my mother. And I was so cool, I could move. Can I give you my cool walk? This is when I was 17, all right? You got to imagine about 75 pounds being gone to really get a clear picture of this here. This is my walk when I was 17. I know it's not cool, but I thought it was. And some of you have heard this story before, but for the rest of you, I'll tell it to you. 17, you know, I wasn't a bad kid, but my dad uh, wasn't smart enough. And my mother said something to me. I remember we were at the church offices where my parents worked. 
she said something to me, and I mouthed off. You know, I, you know how you kind of push the envelope a little further and a little further? What, what can I get away with? What can I get away with? I, I know I can't say that, but I can say this, and you push and push. And, well, I pushed the envelope a little too far that day, and I said something to my mom and turned around and walked off like that. And, uh, but I didn't know my dad was standing around the corner. He saw the whole thing and heard the whole thing. And so I come walking out like this, and he put his hand on my shoulder. And he, like, spun me around a little bit, and he grabbed me by the shirt. I'll never forget this. And my dad is not a violent person, not a, like, but he said, time for an adjustment. That's what he was saying. He said, I'm, I'm doing a little adjusting here. He grabbed me by the shirt and lifted me up in the air. <laughs> Remember, 70 pounds gone, okay. He lifted me in the air, and then he put me down on the ground. He wasn't abusing me. He didn't throw me down or just knock my head against the wall, nothing. He just put me down on the ground, put his knee into my chest, and got face-to-face with me. I'd recognize him. He had eggs for breakfast, and his cot was like 12 o'clock. You listen to me, son. You're not going to talk like that to your mother. I don't know who you think you are, but you don't own this house. You don't run this place, and you're going to do what we said, and you're going to do it with a smile. You understand? You got that, buddy? And I was like, yeah, okay. (laughs) And so he got up and let me get up, and I got up at that point. Painful corrections through the years were not about his dislike for me. We're not about that he was insecure. And we're not about that he was trying to control me because he was a control freak. But it was because he was more interested in my character than he was in my comfort. And you must understand this about our Heavenly Father. Let me make it clear to you or very plain to you in Scripture. In uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5, it says... And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. That means he corrects or punishes. And scourgeth, scourgeth, that means gives a spanking to. Gives a spanking to every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure this correction or punishment, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? You're not really a son if the father won't correct you. But if ye without chastisement, if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Ye are fatherless if you don't receive correction. So when God is correcting you, he is showing love to you. But if you don't start out your prayer with our Father, then you don't recognize what's happening. And you think God's forgotten about you or dislikes you or hates you. But whom he loveth, he chasteneth. Amen. Can I get an amen if you believe the word? I also said that you... You must see him as a loving father to receive his blessings. This is the clearest, clearest verse of scripture on this in Luke chapter 11 and verse 9. If you want God's blessings, then understanding him as a father is the key to you accessing his blessings. Here's what the verse says. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Verse number 10. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, 
And to him that knocketh it shall be open. Number 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Here's the key verse here. If any of, go back to the one before, sorry. If any of you uh, that is a father and you have a son, and the son, I, th- I believe it's verse 11, and the son asks for this, what kind of a father would give a serpent for a fish? The point is, God is our father. And just like a father would give good gifts to those that ask, same is true with God. Verse 10, uh, 12 now, next verse. Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Verse 13. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? God wants to give good things to you. God wants to bless you. And just like your your earthly father, God's not going to give you all kinds of candy to rot your teeth out. Amen? Sometimes the things we want are the, aren't the best for us. But God wants good things for us. Amen. And when you ask him, when you go to him with your prayers, you are going to your heavenly father. And when you understand that he is your father, it enables you to access the riches of his blessings and the riches of his glory. Amen. Hallelujah. The last point, finally, number point number four that I want to make is that understanding God as a father may be the greatest key to your salvation, to being saved. If you don't understand God as being your father and you don't see him as your heavenly father, it may keep you from taking the steps necessary to be saved. The most famous dad story in Scripture. Does anybody know what the most famous dad story in Scripture is? It's the story of the prodigal son. This story is in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. I'll just share with you the essence of the story. The prodigal son. You know what I found out in doing a little bit of study? I realized that Jesus was not the first one to tell this story. But it was a story that many rabbis told to teach young people before Jesus. However, their ending was different than Jesus' ending. I'll tell you the first part of the story, and then I'll show you Jesus' ending. Here's the story. The story was there was a a young man who was raised in the house of his father. His father was wealthy, had servants, land, all of these things. And at a certain certain time, the young man wanted to go out and have some fun and live a crazy lifestyle. So he came to his dad, and he said, Dad, I don't want to be part of this household anymore. I don't want to live here any longer. I want to go out and do my own thing, but I need some cabbage. I need some cash. So what I was thinking is, Dad, could you maybe sort of like give me the money that I was going to inherit from you when you died? Could I get that money like now? And then I can kind of go do my own thing. This was, you got to understand in the context there, it was, it was very disrespectful, number one. And number two, it showed that there was no true relationship between this son and and this father, because oftentimes uh, in, in this patriarchal society, when a, a child grew up, they would marry a wife and bring it right into the household, build another house right on the same property. And so he said, I don't want any part of 
you anymore. I don't want any part of this family, this location. I want to go kind of do my own thing. So he walked away, and his father did give him the money, and he walked away, and he went out, and he lived riotous. What does riotous living mean? That means he spent all his money on parties and prostitutes, straight up. And before long, anybody that you've seen before, you've seen these professional ball players that get this bum rush of cash and they don't use it wisely and next thing you know, they're broke. Well, this is what happened to this young man. All of a sudden he ran out of money and all the friends that he had, all the party buddies, his posse wasn't hanging with him no more. And they all went and looked, looked for another free ride and now he's like by himself. And he has no one that will return the favor for all the money that he spent. And so the story goes that he becomes hungry. Out of money, no money to buy groceries anymore. Used to be the richest guy all around. Everybody was coming around to hang out. No money to even buy groceries. So he's like, man, I got to get a job, but nobody will hire me. I have no skills. And so finally he finds a job. You know what the job is? The job is he goes out to the pig farm, and many of you here don't know what that means, but I grew up in Iowa, where I've been to a pig farm, and it smells atrocious. You walk into the pig sty, and you come out, and you stink for the rest of the day, or two days. Uh, It gets in your flesh, and your clothes, and everything. He went, and he began to serve food to the pigs, and was so hungry that the husks of corn, the the bad stuff that was thrown out, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to eat some of this stuff that the pigs have been chewing on. And he was about to do that. Gone much further than he ever intended. Didn't end up as good as he thought it was going to be. When he got ready to eat the pig's food, the Bible says he came to himself, said in himself, you know what? The servants in my dad's house eat better than this. You know what I'm saying? The maid and the gardener, all of these people that work for my dad, the harvesters, they eat better than this. I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to say to my dad, Dad, I messed up, and I am so sorry. I was an idiot. But I wonder if there's any way that you would let me come back into the house and be one of the servants, maybe in the servants' quarters, and then I at least have something to eat, and I'll be close to him. He just came home because of his hunger. Now, here's how the rabbis told the story. They ended the story like this. There's two or three variations. One of them was they would get home, and the father would have already died. Or another one is he got home, and the father rejected him, told him, you've spent your money. Go do your own thing. See, This was kind of like a a moral story to teach a lesson to young men not to be rebellious. But Jesus took the same story and said, let me tell this story. And when it comes to Jesus, Jesus' story was that when the young man was walking home, shamed, stinky, that his father was looking in the distance. And when his father saw him coming in the distance, he ran out to greet him, fell on his neck, and embraced him. And and while, while he was weeping and holding and loving on the young man, he started trying to say his little speech that he had rehearsed several times. 
Dad, I know I messed up and I'm so sorry. I don't deserve to be a son, but would you let me come and be your servant and just serve in the house and have something to eat? But he couldn't even get the statement out of his mouth. And his dad said, hush, don't even talk like that. Bring out my coat. Bring out my signet ring. Can you guys prepare a big feast? Because my son, who was lost, is coming home. If you don't recognize God as your father, then when life messes you up and your mistakes leave you far from God, you're going to be less likely to turn around and come back home. But today I want to tell you that God is your heavenly father. And when you walk away from your heavenly father, just like this young man, it's always disastrous. And nothing can prevent the ultimate consequences from catching up with you. The farther away we run, the worse the situation gets. As exciting as the world appears, the Father's house is the only place where real love and real life are experienced. The world is an illusion, amen, but the Father's house is reality. In this story, we often focus on the son, but I want you to think about the father right now. Some people are surprised that God acts like the father in this story. He does nothing to stop the son from taking advantage of him. He doesn't even try to keep him from leaving and engaging in the behaviors that he knows is going to lead to destruction in the young man's life. Isn't it disturbing that God refuses to step in and stop people from doing what's wrong? Why does God do that? Why does God have this non-interference policy? Because God has given us the ultimate gift of free will. And if we're going to love him and live for him and live with him, it's going to be our choice, not because he's forcing us to. (laughs) And so if God would have stopped him, if the Father would have stopped him, or if God would have stopped you when you walked away, it would no longer be free will. Sometimes we think we'd like God to be more controlling. That is, when it comes to other people. God, why don't you straighten them out? Why don't you correct them? But God knows that the moment he forces us to do his will, it's no longer obedience, and it means nothing. So God, like this father, in the same way allows us to go our direction. Notice that the father doesn't go off to the distant country in search of his son. He's not going to rescue him against his will, he will let him go until he has discovered for himself that the world is a lie. If God pulls you back and drags you back and you still think the pleasure is there, then your love for him and your relationship with him will not flourish. How ironic that the son's pursuit of pleasure is the very thing that makes pain his companion. We can easily observe this story and see the foolishness of the boy and the results of his destructive choices and destructive lifestyle. We can see it before it ever comes about. The world looks so appealing. People seem to be so free, 
seem to be having such a great time. So you think you're invincible? You're immune from the destruction that takes place in other people's lives. It's a wise person who accepts God's truth and lives their life accordingly. But the foolish person insists on testing God's truth by experience before they will believe it. And that's what this young man did. What Jesus was teaching had a whole lot more to do with the love of the Father than it did the sins of the prodigal son. The sin was horrible, but the love was unconditional because he was his father. Jesus told this story, and he was teaching us that the wages of sin is sure enough death. You see a boy lying, starving to death in a pig pen. The wages of sin is death. It'll mess you up. But it also says that the gift of God is eternal life. And how is this displayed? By the welcome home party that blew his mind when he got back home. Last verse I want to read is Psalms chapter 101 and verse 8. Or I'm sorry, 103 and verse 8. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Our musicians can come. If you're standing on the outside and whatever has created a breach in your relationship with the Father and you feel at odds with God, you feel separated from God. And here's the deal. You know what I've learned is you can be coming to church and still be a distance between you and God. And you can fool everybody and everybody thinks everything's cool, but you know, you know that you're not even comfortable talking to him. And what the enemy does is the enemy seeks to use that to drive an impenetrable wedge between you and God and to cause you to walk away from him. But you're here today and God's grace and mercy is being extended to you by this word right now. God is your heavenly Father. And it doesn't matter how far you've gone. You've gone. doesn't matter how many mistakes that you've made. doesn't matter if you've made the same mistake over and over and over and over again. It doesn't matter if you've shamed yourself and shamed your family. There's really no amount of failure or sin or mistakes or shame that causes your father to say, I'm done with you. Oh yeah, if you see God as an austere judge, you see God as one who's just looking to 
hold you accountable for your actions. Yeah. That's your picture of God. If you're going to access God's mercy, it starts with you saying, My Father. Yeah. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've wandered or how long it's been. The moment you start to walk back to God with your little rehearsed speech, God, I know I've forfeited the blessings that you had promised to me when I was a young person. I know I've forfeited by my failures your favor and blessing in my life, but I'm just tired of the misery. Can you take away the misery? Listen to me. He's not only going to take away the misery, but he's going to throw a party. There's going to be a celebration. you got to get this point because he's not just God. He's not just the creator. He's not just the righteous judge, but he is your father. His love is unconditional. Unconditional. At the trial of every deviant individual, be they a murderer, rapist, terrorist. Somewhere, there's that loving family member. When all of society and culture has rejected them because of their actions, because of what they did, there's that unending love. You need to understand that this is the way the Father loves you. And His mercy and grace his love is unconditional. We stand to our feet right now. Father wants from you. you know what our Father wants from us? He wants a relationship. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to communicate and have fellowship. So on this happy Father's Day, when hopefully you will go home and pick up the phone and say, Dad, dial the number and say, Dad, I love you. If your dad is in your life. Daddy, oh, I love you. Before we leave here today and we say happy Father's Day, before we leave here today, I want us to talk to God for a minute. I want us to talk to our Heavenly Father on Father's Day. And I want us to show Him how much we appreciate His love to us, His continuous sacrifice, the mercy that He's shown to us. And here's the way we're going to do it. Before we leave here, I want us just to gather up around the front just for a moment together as brothers and sisters and friends. And we're just going to let the Lord know that we love Him and talk to Him right now. Even if you're here and you feel separated from Him, you feel like it's been a long time and your actions have taken you away from Him, I want to encourage you on this beautiful Father's Day because He is your Father. Even if, even if you don't recognize it, even if you've rejected it, He's still your Father. And I want us to tell him we love him and say thank you. Could we just step out of where we are right now and gather around the front? 
all of our friends and guests just for a moment before we leave this Father's Day we're going to talk to Jesus together we're going to talk to our Father in heaven Somebody here today, God wants to be a very real father in your life. Someone who is missing the connection with your biological father, perhaps. Father on this earth. And God wants to be a very real father. He wants to show his love to you right now. So I wonder if we could close our eyes across this place and just begin to talk to him in our own way. Because he can hear all of us at the same time. We can speak to him right now. Can you do that with me? Your Father, I love you today. I thank you for loving me so much, Jesus. Thank you for giving, even though I didn't deserve it, even though I was pretty rebellious and ignorant. But you still love me. <laughs> and I want to say thank you for it right now. Thank you for being the Father that I always needed. Thank you for being a Father that was always there. Thank you for being a father that would always listen. Thank you for being a father that would always extend love. I thank you, Jesus, and I'm so grateful to you. Can you talk to him right now? That's all he wants. All he wants is for you to open up and be open with him, and then he's going to begin to touch you. He's going to begin to minister to you. He's going to speak back to you right now. Jesus, I love you. Heavenly Father, I praise you. Hallelujah. If you want to, you can just lift up your hands. It's, it's just beautiful beautiful when you begin to talk to him. Lord, I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Lord God, and I thank you for being merciful to me. Heavenly Father, while I was wandering, while I was doing my own thing, when I had a real bad attitude, when I didn't treat people right, you still love me, Lord, and I, I can't imagine that right now. But I say thank you, Father. I love you, Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I need you in my life. I want you to be real. I want you to be there. I want to move back in. I want to be in your house. I want to be close to you, Lord God. I want to walk with you. <laughs> I want to learn from you. I love you, my Father. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's just talk to him right now. I love you, Father. together right now. This is just what I feel in the Holy Ghost. We're, we're all going to put ourselves in the place of the son, the prodigal son. We're just going to be there, all right? Here's what we're doing, bro. Sisters, here's what we're doing. We're going back to the father. And we want relationship with him. And I want us to come back 
like the son did. And I want us to let the Lord know that we're sorry for what we've done, the way we've conducted ourselves. I, wa I want you to tell him just like the boy told his dad. Because the Bible says repent. That's what that means. It means I've been going this direction, but I'm changing direction, and I'm asking you to forgive me. But I'm going to speak prophetically right now because this is what's going to happen in the house right now. As you begin to speak those words, you're going to hardly, you, when you speak it from your heart, you're going to hardly get it out of your mouth, and you're going to begin to sense the embrace of the Father. You're going to feel his head falling on your neck, and you're going to feel him sobbing. <laughs> as he's embracing you and you're still saying sorry and he's loving you and you're still you're, you're still asking him to forgive you and he's loving you <laughs> can you do that all across this place whether you come to church here all the time whether you're a first time guest whether you're spirit filled or whether you don't know anything about the Holy Ghost we're going to repent together right now we're going to come to the Father because some of you even though you're going to church you've allowed distance to grow between you and the Father because of your conduct and it's caused you not to want to come into his presence. But I want you to come into his presence right now. Lord Jesus, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, you forgive me. My sins and failures. Come on, just ask him, Jesus. Hallelujah, that's it. Come on, just let, let that praise in come out of you. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I praise
up your hands and lift up your head towards him right now. Lift your head up towards heaven. Hallelujah. God. Can I tell you what's happened in this place for a number of people? It's the best way I can think of it to explain it. You've cleared the air. You know, whenever you've had a, a breach in the relationship with someone, it's like you're not talking to each other. Maybe it's somebody important in your life. And then all of a sudden you go have that conversation. Apologies are made. The air is cleared. But you don't just clear the air just so that that, just so that the offense is done. You clear the air so that you can go back to having a relationship with that person. This is what's happened here today. You felt the embrace of God. You responded to the Spirit of the Lord. This is not just because something happened here today. This is now an open opportunity to explore and enjoy a relationship with your heavenly Father. So when you leave here today, don't leave here and just say, well, that was a good service and I felt something, I felt God. But leave here today and say, I'm glad I got things right with my Father. Now I'm going to hang out with Him. Now we're going to spend time together. (laughs) I don't have to fear getting in His presence. 
I can go pray now and it feels good. I can go get in the Word of God now and it feels good. I can, I can go spend some time with other godly people and talk about the things of God. It'll, it'll feel good. Amen. Everybody got it? Let's give thanks to the Lord right now. I, I thank Him for Him being here today. And uh, we'll do one last thing. Just for me, this is corny, but let's do it anyway. I want us to look up, I want us to point, and I want us to say Happy Father's Day to our Heavenly Father. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. If you're visiting here with us today, I'd love to meet you before you leave. God bless. God bless.